We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius with Sasha in the booth. Uh, we got some groundbreaking news last night um, where the Clippers ended up signing Kawhi Leonard and trading a, a whole haul for Paul George, really flipping not just the Western Conference, but the league on its head and making the Lakers uh, second place at best in the Kawhi Leonard sweepstakes. So we're going to talk about the fallout from that. I, I think in times like these, it's important to kind of zoom out and think about kind of what the plan was in the first place. So we're going to start the show discussing the two max plan. I believe that with this transaction with Kawhi going to the Clippers, and then the Lakers spending the subsequent money on Danny Green, resigning KCP, JaVale McGee, Quinn Cook. Uh, and I'm sure by the time this gets released, the Lakers will have signed another player or two. But I think that it's fair to say that the two max plan is over with. And where we find ourselves is the Lakers do have two of the five to seven best players in the NBA right now. Uh, and then they have role players around them to debatable degrees of effectiveness and so I wanted to discuss that with you first Darius is is with the two max plan essentially behind us and the dust is kind of settling what do you make of where the Lakers ended up um I guess it's sort of hit and miss in the the two max plan was always about two max free agents right mm -hmm. And so I think that that's the key here. If we're going to focus on that plan, that plan was to lure 
two max level free agents to sort of um, flank the Lakers young core. Right. And, and so um, the two max plan was actually this summer would have been a three max plan. Right. Right. And, and so I think the two max plan probably went out of the window almost when the Lakers traded for Anthony Davis. Uh, yeah, that's that's fair. Um, you, and I would I think it's fair to say also that the two max plan was ideally you add two max guys, like you said, as free agents into what was existing. The Lakers traded most of what was existing for that second max guy and now are now filling that the lack of the third guy with those role players. Right. So it's that that needs to be pointed out that they did not. Right. They got one free agent traded for another, whereas I think the plan was to add to what they have or get that third star. Yeah, I think that the that the plan was um, sort of a bird in the hand plan. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And so ideally, the Lakers would have executed the two max plan last summer when they signed LeBron James, right? At that point, um, the guy that was on everyone's radar was Paul George. And so the Lakers then would have had two max free agents. They would have had all of their young players, and then they would have made a determination on what to do with those young players after the fact. What they did instead was swap out their young players for a second superstar first, and and so they sort of skipped ahead in their own plan and then worked backwards to try to pick up that second max free agent and and we can debate or discuss whether or not that was the right approach um and i think we will on well on this podcast i think they've ended up in a good place with and I just don't think it's necessarily the right perspective. Like part, so part of me wants to look at this and say, well, you can say that the Lakers have essentially traded all all of their young players for the role players that they're signing right now. I don't necessarily think that's the right way to look at this. Um, they traded their young players for for Anthony Davis. They were pot committed to use a like a poker term in terms of their pursuit of of Kawhi Leonard and their their inside straight got foiled on the river. <laughs> right? If we're going to carry the the analogy forward. I think that's true in terms of Kawhi specifically, but there are a couple of elements to this again with zooming out. For me this goes beyond just the Kawhi Leonard pursuit. Is it's not just about Kawhi. It's like they didn't get Paul George either, right? Yes. In terms of their free agent pursuit. And so if it was Kawhi or Paul George or someone else, or be, because they waited for Kawhi, they missed out on an opportunity for, say, a, a Jimmy Butler, right? There there are all sorts of alternate scenarios where we can never know what would have happened had they made this choice instead. But I do think it's fair to judge people on what their plan is, right? Yeah. And the plan was to sign two max free agents all along. And then when the Anthony Davis opportunity became available like you have to have a certain degree of flexibility i don't begrudge them for trading for anthony davis what i begrudge them for is not executing the plan that they were committed to so to me anthony davis is representative of nearly all of our young players right he is what we got from nearly all of our young players with the exception of kyle kuzma so 
then they still need to sign that second max guy in order to get to the type of team that we wanted them to be. So it it comes down to, did the Lakers misread what the situation was in the first place? Because, so... I don't think I, so. If, if you... You know, because so I don't. I think in I think in in the aftermath of this, it becomes apparent that Kawhi, that the Lakers were a plan B for Kawhi, right? And now, if you get a chance to pair Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James, you do it. But to what extent do you take that? What do you give up? And it's it's still perfectly arguable. And I've been fine with the signings that they've made. I think they've overpaid a couple of guys, and we'll get into that later. But in terms of the direction they've gone in as an alternative to signing Kawhi, I'm okay with it in a vacuum with, again, the caveat that I think they overpaid a couple of guys. But did they misread it in the first place where if they had a better read on what the situation was, do you pivot earlier to a Jimmy Butler? Does that mean make him more willing to come to the Lakers rather than Miami? Do you try to go after D'Angelo? I wouldn't have paid him a max, but it's a it's a question worth asking. So... But you you don't seem to think that way. I think the Lakers got played and kind of put themselves in a position to be played by perceiving that they were a bigger contender for Kawhi than maybe they were. I'm, so this is like fly on the wall stuff, and it's stuff that we'll never know. Um, right. You you know the reporting in in the aftermath of this is basically that I think Kawhi wanted to be in the LA market. I think that he exerted as much pressure as possible in order to um, get the Clippers to make the type of trade that they made. And that if the Clippers were unable to do this, if basically Sam Presti hangs up the phone. Right. Then, And, and this is, right, by right. all accounts, the Paul George re- trade request. It was not something that's been brewing since. Like, this is fairly recent development in the situation. Yeah, I... Yes, the actual trade request. Now, now Shams came out and reported that there had been some discord that was known around the league, right? Like, who knows? I'm not doubting that reporting. I'm just saying that if that was true, you know, maybe there would have been other offers for, for Paul George. There, there's, there's this sliding doors type of scenario here, right? For sure. Where... Where there are so many moving parts and so many variables at play that that I'm not sure we'll ever really know. I think that looking at this both from a big picture stand, stand standpoint and and within a vacuum, the Lakers committed themselves to chasing star players. They they ink LeBron James to to a deal. Um, Anthony Davis became available on. Well, on the trade market, they then pursued him with full vigor and they acquired Anthony Davis. They then maneuvered to create a max cap slot to chase the reigning finals MVP. Like, I get sort of working backwards based off of the failure of this and and sort of um, second guessing where they could have pivoted earlier. I just think that this was the plan and sometimes the plan just doesn't go your way when it's when the ultimate final destination is going to be based on someone else's decision as well. 
right? Of course. And, and of course. that's why I guess I don't carry this in any real negative way towards towards the Lakers. They played this out until the end in the way that I think they maybe chose their route early, but once they chose their route, I don't think that there's an exit ramp from that to to pivot gracefully, right? Like every signing, every signing, like like 60, 60 or 70% of the free agents signed on that Sunday afternoon. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I think that if the Lakers were, were, were going to play this a different way, the, 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 the only real other alternative was to sort of jump into that, that sign and trade scenario for Jimmy Butler. And I'm not even necessarily sure if I'm comfortable going that route with a five year full max boat for Jimmy Butler. Right. Like, I guess they could have tried to convince him to come on a four-year max, but uh, like again, this is a sliding door scenario. Like, like, are you going to be able to convince him to that, or is that going to work? Uh, like, like how many, like how many fronts of a war are like, like, are you going to fight? I think the Lakers chose their path and. This is the end result. Like, I guess I just can't be too mad about it. I, I, I don't know. Am I seeing it wrong? No. Well, see, I think there are two components to it. I think there's the vision and then the execution of the vision. We're talking strictly from a vision standpoint right now where does trying to team up Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis, what lengths do you go to do that? And the obvious answer to that is you go really far, right? And if you've got a, a decent chance at it, you do it. Uh the execution of the vision, I think there are a couple of things the Lakers could have done better to help improve their chances of doing that. One of the biggest arguments you and I ever got into on this show was whether or not the Lakers should have brought Jerry West back. And sure. I don't think it's any coincidence that a couple of years later it bites us in the ass, where the if it's not Jerry West, the Lakers have not gone out of their way to get the best people in their front office. And it is the most credible argument that free agents can make against coming here and other teams can make against in favor of them rather than the Lakers coming here. The Lakers did not put themselves in a position from a front office standpoint to have the best people. And then when that comes up in the and that even dates back to, you know, the hiring of Magic Johnson. It's not just a Polinka thing or or the or Rambus or, or anything like that. You know, Chris Carter comes out, who's, you know, had been close to Kawhi's camp for a while, talking about how Magic t going and talking about the details of their conversations didn't help. These are all things that are unquantifiable, and how much does this matter? But we, at the very least, we can say, even if we're not totally pinning blame, we can say that Lakers did not put themselves in the position to say, yeah. hey, we've got one of the best front offices in the NBA. I think that's and, totally fair. And, and for if... if franchise like the Lakers that has the resources, both social capital and financial capital, that's inexcusable. And and so that's something that this, it's unquantifiable again, but this very well could be something that bit them in the butt, that they did not do what they needed to do. The second element of it is how realistic were they? So the Lakers, this is something that, that you and I knew from behind the scenes type stuff. And this is something that was reported by Mark Stein and a few other reporters as the 
reporting became more filled out in terms of who was reporting on on this particular topic, the Lakers felt very confident in their ability to sign Kawhi Leonard. So the other element of, of this is, to what degree was that delusion? And what degree was that true? The I don't tr- I, I I try not to work backward from a hindsight is twenty twenty vision type perspective, but there's also such an information gap from where we're sitting. We're not the people having conversation with Kawhi Leonard and Uncle Dennis and his people and all of the major players in this. So what happens is in the aftermath, we learn more about where they were coming from that may have been something that the Lakers could have picked up on earlier in the process. If the Lakers were a plan B to Kawhi, to what extent do you wait for him rather than pivoting elsewhere. And your point is is well made regarding Jimmy Butler. Do you look to do a sign and trade on that? I personally would have. I think the Lakers have a two-year title window and that he would have helped maximize that. Uh, but it's a fair argument. It's a fair argument to say, no, I don't want to max, max D'Angelo Russell and that Kyrie Irving was going s- somewhere else because of history with LeBron. Do you get in on, on Kemba? I personally wouldn't have. But my question is, where is the point where you do pivot away if you are the party that's operating on enough on on more complete information, if not the full story, yeah. So that's so the way that you played play that out right now. My first thought was sort of get, getting back to the point I made made earlier is I think the like the pivot is before you even decide we're going to chase Kawhi based off right. of the way that the market went right. Mm-hmm. And so there are the way that the market moved this free agency period, there were no multiple irons in the fire, right? Right. There was only we're going in this direction or we're going in that direction. They chose that direction, which was the Kawhi Leonard direction. And once things started to move, that was it. Now, you can say and this isn't even from a hindsight standpoint, you can say that the Lakers with better intel could have said, well, Kawhi's focus is on the Clippers, right? Mm -hmm. Do we want to string that out and make a final determination that we can win that battle? And it turns out they couldn't, right? Uh, I think going into it, though, if the Lakers, and this isn't even this idea of Lakers exceptionalism or or anything like that. If, if I'm the Lakers, I'm thinking to myself, the Clippers have to do two things. They have to get another max player and they have to get Kawhi Leonard. Right. Right. And the Lakers only have to do one thing. Right. They have Mm -hmm. they have their superstar in hand with LeBron James and then and then Anthony Davis. All they have to do is get Kawhi Leonard. And in the aftermath of this, in reading the tea leaves on the reporting again, if this feels like if the Clippers would have been unable to secure Paul George, that. Kawhi Leonard would seemingly be a member of the Lakers today. Yeah, yeah. And and like I said, like I don't think that there's I, I do not think that there's an exit ramp once you go down that road. 
right? Like you go until you break through and you get the commitment or until you hit the brick wall dead will will dead end at the end of the road. And it turned into a dead end, man. Like, like I really don't know what else to say about that specific aspect of, of it. The Lakers certainly could have gone in and said, we evaluate all of these players very similarly. And so, so maybe Jimmy Butler and, and Kawhi Leonard are close enough within a similar tier that you go that route. And then you make a value judgment on what will the market bear out in terms of signing two or three players to fill up that $32 million in cap space. And we value that on a similar tier to Kawhi Leonard. I think both of those... I think that if if we were on the outside and we had and we were privy to those conversations and we mm-hmm. knew that that's how they valued things, we would have said that's wrong. Yeah, and and it is wrong, right? right? You do and and so in I just think that we're trying to we're trying to reverse engineer off of the end result and while I get I perfectly I am in full agreement with you about the discussion about the building up of mobile of the Lakers front office and sort of um, building towards a point where you best position yourself, right? Like you and I are in full agreement there. And I think that if you take enough missteps at some point, you're going to stumble and, and fall down. And maybe mm-hmm. this is the end result of that. But, and, and that's certainly a key part in in all this. I guess where I also stand though is you just can't look back in in a way and say that the Lakers valuation system was wrong, that they made the wrong choices in terms of who who to pursue and why. I just think that they just didn't get their guy and that sucks. It it does. And you know, I'm playing a bit of devil's advocate here because I, I did want the Lakers to shoot this shot. This was the potential to form a dynasty, right? This that type of or the foundation of a dynasty with Kawhi LeBron and Anthony Davis. And now something in a 30 team league, something always has the potential to pop up out of nowhere, like a Paul George trade request and the Clippers saying, We're gonna trade absolutely everything for this guy. There was a massive haul for that that you always play that. I, I do think that the difference in what the Lakers could have gotten rather than what they did uh, get was worth the risk of pursuing Kawhi. And so I, the work leading up to it in terms of the front office and all of the stuff that we said about that still stands. And I think in a lot of ways, Lakers have tried to skip the line. One element of this that stands out in the aftermath of this. We'll we'll transition to kind of what the team is now and going forward in a moment. But I think the position the Lakers find themselves in now, part of it is an outgrowth of the Lakers losing around the margins on a fairly regular basis. Now, you make a fair point that you know, the other team's trade packages for Anthony Davis that were not up to snuff, well, they didn't get Anthony Davis, right? So how much does, does that matter? I would argue that there's a place between what the Lakers gave up and what the Lakers 
and what other teams were offering where they could have kept something more in terms of assets that would put them in a position to fill out this team and make it a championship contender in a way that they're going to have a hard time doing now because they don't have the mechanisms by which to pursue. Like one of the things we'll talk about, I think, I think we need a guard. I think we need a guard on this team, like a playmaking guard. And the Lakers don't have the assets to trade for a guy like that there there are things that pop up again in a 30 team league where somebody like that may become available in a way that Lakers can get him but the path to that is much more difficult now well what I was going to say is is just in terms of working the margins and and a deal how good would Josh Hart be on this team right now so we so we're going to get to a point where we talk about like the Lakers next moves right but um, so I don't want to like jump too far ahead of here, but the Lakers have now committed with Danny Green and KCP roughly 23 million in cap space at the shooting guard position. If you have Josh Hart in hand, I would still chase Danny Green, right? Mm-hmm. But you may have an additional $8 million in cap space to then float around and, and see what's out there in terms of a guard, right? And so if the Lakers have $32 million in in cap space, how much money does Goran Dragic make? Right, $19 million. Right? And so is there a way to structure Danny Green's contract so you maybe come out of this free agency period with Danny Green and Goran Dragic? You don't have Quinn Cook. You don't have KCP. But now your backcourt rotation is 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 Dragic, um, uh, Green, Green, Josh, Josh Hart, Hart and then like Caruso. Maybe Alex Caruso. Right? Mm-hmm. And right. so there's an element there where you're talking about working the margins in in a way that that I think is totally reasonable and makes sense. And it does go back to some of what the Lakers gave up in in the, the Anthony Davis trade. And like that's just one piece with with Josh Hart. We're not going to get into like the Lonzo and Ingram part because they're salary ballast within this right right sure so so i don't want to go too far down that road but josh hart basically makes what mo wagner makes Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and there's a way i i think there would have been a way to manipulate the various trade packages that the lakers have sent out um within the context of the anthony davis deal and and really tried to work this a different way but again Part of that is reverse engineering from the result. That that is true to an extent. By the same token, like if you find yourself in this place right now with, say, Josh Hart on the team, I I agree with you to a certain extent about the salary ballast of Lonzo or Ingram. But I thought the Lakers had three assets that were around the same level of value in Lonzo, Ingram, and the fourth pick, and I think they could have kept one of them. That if Kawhi decides, hey, I do want to be a Laker. And you find yourself, oh, we got a clear little bit of space. There's going to be no problem finding somebody to take one of those guys for free if that's what you have to do, right? Or for a future pick. There's going to be a market for guys like yeah. that. So that, that's, again, another way that they could have operated around those margins. Ultimately, for me, my biggest concern about the two max plan and just about the way that things were going, what I always wanted in terms of how the Lakers were to build was pretty 
different than how it's ended up turning out in that I wanted the Lakers to build something slow and sustainable and shoot their shot starting in like 2020 in terms of pursuing free agents and adding like big guys to the team, building around, you know, something sustainable, keeping the young guys around for a while. My concern was that going this route was going to lead to the Lakers being a team that was good, like a second round type of team, but not necessarily a championship contender. And I find myself currently a little bit concerned that that is the place that we end up in. So um, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about what the roster is now and what the Lakers can do moving forward, considering the circumstances they find themselves in. All right, so let's talk about sleep. Listen to these studies from Harvard and Johns Hopkins. Chronic sleep deprivation has been shown to lead to depression, diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. We need eight hours of sleep. One of sleep's biggest problems, temperature. Tough to get good sleep if you're too hot or too cold. I wanna tell you about the pod by Eight Sleep. The pod by Eight Sleep is a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. It was developed by leading sleep researchers after tracking 43 million hours of sleep. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. That means if you like the bed cool, but your partner likes the bed warm, now you can have both at the same time. And it's a crazy comfortable bed. Sleep longer and deeper so you wake up refreshed and ready to take on the world. To celebrate Independence Day, get a free gravity cooling blanket plus free shipping with your pod purchase, a $300 value for free. The offer ends on Monday, July 8th. Visit 8sleep.com slash bluewire. That's 8sleep.com backslash bluewire. All right, so we find ourselves in a position where Lakers have LeBron James and Anthony Davis with Danny Green, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, JaVale McGee, Jared Dudley, Troy Daniels, Kyle Kuzma. Am I forgetting anyone at the time of this recording, guys? No. You mentioned Cook, right? Uh, Quinn Cook. Thank you. Quinn Cook is the is the other guy. The Lakers are pretty well set in the front court. Marcus Morris is still out there, and he'd be a nice name to pick up probably the best player remaining that's available. Um, there's a, a real depth of talent, I think, in the backcourt, but... Where do you see where the roster is right now, Darius? I mean, they they need more wings, which, welcome to the real world. Um, <laughs> I think every team needs needs more wings. So, and I think they need another ball handling guard. Um, but look, like, look at the market. Those guys don't really exist. And this was a shallow market already for those types of players. Right. So, so let's talk about who they did sign. Yeah. Let's um, talk you, about you had a, those you guys had a first. Nice, yeah. You had a nice uh, piece that I read yesterday on the Danny Green signings for two years, 30 million. What's your reaction to that? I like Green. I like him a lot. He's one of the best three and D players in the entire league. Um, he is not. So l- let's talk about what he's not first because the list of things that he's not is actually pretty small. He is not a ball handler. Not at all. He is not an offensive initiator, and he is not a passer. Um, He can be a ball mover. He did that in the Spurs system fairly well, right? Swing, swing type type of guy. But he is not. um, He is not a guy where you're going to like put the ball in his hands and say go do something, right? He is a finisher Mm -hmm. offensively. And, and that's from behind the three-point line. He's not a very good finisher around the basket, but he will, those catch-and-shoot attempts, he will knock those down. Yes, 
And so I like Danny Green. I like him a lot. He's consistently one of the better defensive shooting guards in the league. I'm not sure how much he can defend up, right? But I think in certain matchups, he definitely can do well, do that fairly well. Um, and look, man, like you had talked about this idea of, man, I'd really like Reggie Bullock back. Mm-hmm. Right, I, like, and the reasons why, right? Yes, guy who can come off of screens, and yeah. yes, well, I'll, that's going to be. I, I'll get into that for sure. Go for it. And so, Danny Green to me, it's like, yeah, give me Danny Green over Reggie Bullock, like every day of the week, right? Just, just in terms of the same types of actions, I feel like that you can run like wide, like wide pin downs. You can run him off of a variety of screens, screen actions, circling back to to the top of the key. He is a wonderful spot up option. Um, and look, man, like I just think from a defensive standpoint, you needed a guy like Danny Green, who can not only defend his position, but he's a really good transition defender. He's really good at at helping at the basket as as a guard. He's not like a shot blocker, like in the classic sense, but but he will do work around the restricted area in that way. Like um and just in terms of the contract, look man, two year deal. He just turned third well well thirty two, so you're paying him for his age thirty three or I'm sorry, his basically his his age thirty two and thirty three and age thirty three season. At this time in two years when his contract expires, he'll be third well well thirty four. I think you're probably going to get from this contract the last part of Danny Green's like most usefulness at his mm-hmm. age. And and so I'm perfectly good with that. I also think that his contract number is a little bit of an overpay, but mm-hmm. I also think that in a year from now, that could be salary ballast if you're looking yeah. to make a trade. So like I think that they did well. He was the best remaining free agent on the market and they signed him. And he was a guy I would have targeted from the very beginning if the Lakers had 32 million of cap space and they never went down the Kawhi road. So I'm, I'm really happy to get Danny green. So from a player standpoint, I'm, uh, I think the potential of LeBron AD and Danny green, I think the, some of the parts can be greater than the whole uh, in that. And, and, and look, you've got two of the best players in the game in that, right? But the way that the three of those guys fit together, I think, has a chance to be particularly special. My, the first place my mind goes to, and I'm going to be making videos on this that I'm really excited about, are the potential of the screening game, both off of the ball and on the ball. So let's start with the idea of what pick and rolls look like with that trio. Is If you've got a LeBron James, Anthony Davis pick and roll, the big man has to contain hard on LeBron or LeBron's going to get all the way to the basket and dunk on you, right? So you really have to commit to that. So if the big is committing to the ball handler and having to respect the ability to get to the basket on that, then who's helping the big on the roll man? The roll man being Anthony Davis, right? And Anthony Davis has the type of talent with his hands, his standing reach, his coordination and leaping ability to, he is that lob threat and the Lakers signed JaVale as well, which he will fit this and Green will benefit off of this as well from JaVale as well as Anthony Davis. And you have to commit from the weak side in a conventional like drop coverage. You, 
that weak side defender really has to commit to Anthony Davis. There are a couple of different ways that you do this. If you're not as worried about a, a roll threat, you you tag him, right? You kind of get in his way, you bump him, and then you recover hard back to that weak side shooter. You really have to commit to Anthony Davis on the roll the same way that you really have to commit to LeBron James on the initial attack. So if you do that, that leaves the weak side shooter wide open in a lot of pick and roll coverages. And Danny Green is one of the best in the game. I think he's 98th or 99th percentile of making unguarded three-point shots. That scenario that I just described of a LeBron James and Anthony Davis pick and roll is going to create a lot of those wide open shots. And he's one of the very best in the game at doing, at knocking those down. So his game is limited, but his particular skill set and what he's at best at really fits is the is that third piece that can maximize the potential of LeBron and Anthony Davis off of ball screens. Now, in the off-ball game, you've got a lot of early offense sets like delays and wide pin downs, pistol action, where the ability for a shooter to come off of a screen is really important. In that first scenario, Danny Green is a spot-up shooter, but he can also knock these down coming off of screens, off of movement, get his feet under him. The ability for Anthony Davis to set that screen for Danny Green to come off of the screen, then Davis either pops or rolls off of that, while LeBron James is the person deciding whether the ball should go to Green, Davis, or take it himself. That's another remarkable and very common scenario in the NBA. So I think that in two of the most common plays in the NBA, the Lakers have really, like teams are going to have to find ways to help off of other places. It's going to mean wide open shots for that trio or somebody else. And the one caveat to all of that is that teams that can switch will probably be the most difficult matchup for the Lakers. And so if you look into Houston or, or teams like that in the playoffs, what are the types of teams that can give the Lakers issues? They'll be able to do that because LeBron did not attack switches particularly well and he this past year. Now, hopefully that was an aberration. And there are systemic and spacing per reasons for that last year that you could argue, if you're an optimist, won't be there because the Lakers have shooters this year, that LeBron will attack those switches more effectively. But let's say that he doesn't. Danny Green doesn't attack those well. He's not an individual shot creator, as you pointed out as well. You're really relying heavily on Anthony Davis to get the most favorable matchup and take advantage of that. He's actually very good at that. So Lakers do at least have one matchup there, but that's probably where they'll struggle the most. In terms of the contract, I think the Lakers... I think you pay a certain price for having guys wait. And I think that that's a running theme from Danny Green to KCP to JaVale McGee. Each of those guys would pay a little bit more for waiting, right? And in Danny Green's case, he had a viable offer. Brian Windhorst reported that the standing offer from the Dallas Mavericks was three years, $36 million, so $12 million a year, which sounds about right. If you get a player on a shorter-term deal, you're usually going to pay more money. And when you combine that with what the Lakers had to pay considering the market had shrunk by that point. 15 million for two years sounds about right. I think it's a little bit of an overpay in a vacuum, but we're not in a vacuum. Considering the context, I think the green of all of the contracts that they signed, I think that he was the most reasonable of the deals. So all in all, I'm I'm pretty optimistic about that. Um, let's move on to KCP, my man. He was somebody where uh, we got a rare no and no from you when discussing yes. prospects of bringing KCP back. And uh, he was brought back on a two-year, $16 million a year deal, $8 million a year. Um, we already know what your thoughts on are on that, but considering the context, why, why don't you expound on that? I mean, look, I would have preferred the Lakers just go in a different direction here. Um 
a million dollars can be well spent in another area. I think that overall on like the open market, KCP may have gotten this money. It's like a little bit less than the full mid-level exception for a team. He could have maybe gotten like a prove it two-year contract from someone that was in that that was in this range. Um, the Lakers do need wing type players and wing sized players. KCP can I do not think he can guard up a position very effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that he can guard certain types of point guards well well enough, especially um, guys who move off screens a fair amount mm-hmm. and not necessarily mm-hmm. like ball dominant pick and roll type guys or guys who have a lot of shake at well, well at the point of attack. Um, you, you know, like, look, I think hindsight tells me and even current sight tells me that KCP is not worth this contract. Mm-hmm. Right. I do think though that he has a certain skill set that can still be useful in the league as a contributing rotation player, as one of your best eight or nine players. Um, I Like, he's still young enough. Like, this is me sort of trying to talk myself into something that is basically here. Like, like <laughs> I'm not thrilled about it, obviously, but on, on a team where you need to cobble together 48 minutes of rotation minutes right amongst the shooting guard and small forward positions um fine fine like i would have rather had any other number of options that would have been available at the beginning of free agency at this stage of free agency i would have taken back kcp i guess i'm just most mad about or not mad but just disappointed or disgruntled at the final contract number i would have more preferred something in the room exception range yeah i I, that that is where i valued kcp i valued kcp on a one-year deal at the room exception uh where you fill out the rest of your team and then you maintain his bird rights that you can sign him to something you know a two or three-year deal next summer while while maintaining that um this was an overpay this is something that the Lakers, I, I think they would have been able to get him for less, even in the current circumstances, right? He, I, I do think he will serve a purpose in that, your point about him being able to to defend down, right? To defend point guards specifically. I think the way this roster is shaping up is that LeBron James is going to be the point guard and in, in a lot of senses. And but you don't want LeBron defending point guards. Yes. Right. And KCP can do that. KCP can chase guys around screens. He's an okay defender on the perimeter. I've always thought he's a little bit on the overrated side, but but he's he's like okay to solid. Um, and in a market where the there aren't a lot of guards, right? There aren't a lot of guys that you can depend on. Now, can you depend on KCP? No, you cannot. KCP is very inconsistent. KCP is one of those X factor type of players where the difference between what your team is when he's playing well and when he's playing poorly is significant, but you can never count on which one of those guys that you're going to get. Um, ideally, he's a guy that's coming off of the bench, but it wouldn't surprise me to see a closing lineup of LeBron, Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma, KCP, and Danny Green. No, right? I was just going to say that myself. 
Yeah. It, that that's that's really what it, where you've got your two stars surrounded by three shooters. And that's one thing in the broader construction of what this the team has done in the aftermath of Kawhi signing with the Clippers is everybody is either a shooter or a finisher around the room around the rim specifically JaVale McGee in that respect. Now, I actually think they've maybe swung the pendulum a little too far in the other direction. Yeah. Where I think like we need a guard, man. Like to me, to put all of this in plain English, we're breaking down all of the, the individual transactions. The Lakers are a solid guard away from being a legitimate championship contender. But that guy needs to be a good player. He needs to be a Kyle Lowry or a Goran Dragic or somebody like that, right? That where they can like you need somebody who can dribble. You need somebody who can no, like, bring even, the like, ball up the court and get you into your offense. Like, and it can't just be LeBron. No, this guy was overpaid this summer, but even like a Malcolm Brogdon. Right, mm-hmm. like someone who can capably initiate your offense, he can hit the three-point shot, and he can attack a closeout. Right, and the Lakers need one of those guys, and they don't have another one right now. And if they need to depend on Alex Caruso to sort of um, develop into a guy who can do some of those things, and Maybe he hits. I'm not sure, right? I like Caruso. I'm not down on him at at all. He plays hard and has, um, you know, some defensive chops at well, 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 at the point of attack. He can sneakily attack the basket some, and he showed real confidence in his three point shot towards towards the end of the season. That said, like Alex Caruso, is still really bothered by ball pressure at the point of attack. Yes. Right. Yes, he is. Like there's there's lots of things that are problematic. So let, let me jump in. Go ahead. Let me jump in here. Go ahead. Like Alex Caruso was a guy where last year it was like, all right, this guy's an NBA player and he deserves a chance to compete for a backup job for your second string yeah. type of guy. Now you don't want to depend on him to be able to hit as a second string guy, but he, you could very well see it, and he deserves a shot at that. Now, where the Lakers find themselves is Alex Caruso is going to be dependent on to be a backup. I, I, I'm fairly sure, certain he's back, and maybe something changes. But like, I think you could make an argument for Alex Caruso ahead of what their other options are. Now, part of that is how much I like Caruso. I do think Caruso is the real deal to a certain extent. It also speaks to the dearth of talent that's available on the free agent market yeah. and of, of what their other options are. Like Alex Caruso would have to be the like ultimate ceiling version of what Alex Caruso could be. And I, like, he's a good, you know, good defender. He cuts well. He's really smart, plays good athlete, young legs. Like a lot of the things yes. that I like to sur- surround LeBron with, but Going from like, hey, we hope he's a backup to we might have to depend on him to be a starter is a big leap and speaks to where the major gap in this Lakers team is and what they'll need to address. And I don't think it's impossible to get there. I think that there are ways, especially with Green on the contract, he is KCP, JaVale, they've got some salary ballast. They still have coups. They've got a 2020 first and probably the 2021 first. I think that it's going to be more likely to happen next summer that they're able to acquire that uh, that guard that they want. But well, next summer they'll also have their full mid level exception, right? Like, right. like one of right. the one of the one of the key points about structuring the Lakers' contracts as two year deals is that they ensure that they'll have their full mid level exception next year. Right. No, that's a great point, and that speaks to like to to me like 
everything is going to have to go right for Lakers to be a title contender this year. I think it's more likely the following season. Um, and now, to be clear, just to jump in right there, that was going to be true even if the Lakers signed Kawhi Leonard. Like, I don't want to, like, shout. Maybe. No, like. No, no. Like, but look, if you've got, like, there, there'd be series, man. Where they would, games, sure, where they would overpower the three best players on the court. Yes. Yes. Look, I'm with you. 100%. I'm not saying they'd win. I'm saying they would have been a, a title contender this year if they signed Kawhi. I don't think they're a title contender right now. Sure. Okay. That's fair. That's totally fair. Yeah. All right, man. Anyways, let's. So let's, we were talking about Quinn Caruso. Cook. Let's talk. Yes, because oh, okay. I think go, it's go a good time Caruso. to transition to Quinn Cook because he actually is a guy who plays point guard, who the Lakers signed, and I thought they signed him to a reasonable enough contract. What are your thoughts on Cook? I actually, I'm going to pivot that back to you first because you're in Oakland. Uh, yes. your, your wife is a Golden State fan. Uh, I know you watch a lot of Golden State basketball. Would it, is it fair to say they're your probably second most watched team in the NBA? Yes. Cause so how about you I, give us your Quinn Cook scouting report? I know Cran just had tweeted out some kind of damning numbers on Quinn Cook in, from an analytics perspective. Yeah. I'm curious about what you've seen from, from watching him on a game-to-game basis. Well, I'm not sure if analytics are ever going to like a player like Quinn Cook a bunch. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I was going to make this point, but go ahead. Um, no, so so I'll so I'll let you make that point, and I'll just talk more from like what I see from a player standpoint, right? Quinn Cook can initiate your offense. He can bring the ball up. Um, he can hit the open three, well, three point shot. He can run a little bit of pick and roll. And if teams go under on him, he can hit the sort of like, oh, you went under. I'm going to shoot this shot, a uh, kind of Fred Van, Fred Van Vliet sort of right. shot. Right? He's, he scored well off of ball screens uh, along with spot ups. Yeah. yeah, like he is, he plays sort of a shooting guards game and a point guard size body. And as like an off ball threat, I think, I think he fits into a star structured team very well as a point guard when you have a ball dominant wing who's going to bring the ball up a fair amount. Um, This would be an argument for playing Cook in lineups with LeBron and AD or next to LeBron specifically if you can flank him with enough defense around him. Um, I like Cook, man. Like, I just think that he's... I think that he's a solid NBA player. I like his moxie. I like his confidence. He hit a couple of really big shots in the finals in in games where he was sort of thrust into a position that was probably a little bit over his head considering the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to play in some really tough lineups for him because he's playing next to Steph Curry. And so there is no hiding him defensively. You know what right. I mean? Like they were hiding Steph defensively because he, because Steph was the one who had such a high offensive burden. And so Cook is in there playing heavy minutes. He never once looked afraid. He never once, to me, looked super tentative about taking the big shot. There were a couple of times where it did happen, but in the bigger picture, he looked confident and ready. And look, man, like for a team who has aspirations to make a deep playoff run, like a guy who has, and this is so coach speak and so cliche, right? So I sort of apologize for saying it this way, but but you want guys like Cook who who have sort of had that experience and been in the fire 
and shown some metal in in those scenarios. And so I like Cook as an offensive fit. Defensively, the yeah. what I'm really going to say about him is that he tries, right? Like he tries, but he's listed at six. <laughs> like he's listed at six two. He is not six two. I right. I met Quinn Cook, <laughs> right? So. Like you said, I do live in Oakland. I have met Quinn Cook. He is not much bigger than me. He's probably about six foot. And he's going to struggle defensively, man. He's going to struggle at the point of attack. He's going to struggle getting over screens. Um, bigger guards are going to bully him. You, you, there's, just, there's just not a lot of places to hide a player like him defensively. Do I think that in the right lineup construction, his... His the the drawbacks that he brings defensively can be outweighed by the things that he brings to the table offensively. Yes, yes, I do because that was the formula that he played under in Golden State. We'll see where where it goes. For three million dollars, I was happy to get Quinn Cook. Well, Quinn Cook. Yeah, I I think you're on the right track with all of that. That's that's about with having watched him less than you have. Um, defensively is really the main area that stood out to me of like, can this dude be on the court in, in big moments? Um, that was something I noticed during the finals, like him making mistakes and, uh, you know, like I do agree that he tries, um, he's somebody that, you know, if the Lakers do have defensive chops on that coaching staff, then he's going to be a guy that you really need to, cause I think sometimes you can try, but if your effort is going in the wrong direction and you make a false step on a rotation, the guy's still going to be open. Right. And so at his size, he's basically a six foot tall shooting guard. Um, I, I think he's a backup. I don't think that you can get many minutes for him on a starting unit where just I just don't think he can handle those defensive responsibilities. Yeah. But he's going to be able to knock down those open shots. This is a, a direction the Lakers have pivoted pretty strongly um, in, in terms of making sure that LeBron and Anthony Davis are surrounded by shooters. Um that's another thing, and we'll talk about this more now that I'm on the topic, is Anthony Davis handles the ball a lot. And one of the things I was surprised about from watching the Pelicans tape was like, oh, he's kind of the point guard in a lot of these in the way that Nikola Jokic was the point guard a lot of yeah. times for the Denver yeah. Nuggets, right? A lot of touches at the top of the key where it flows into handoffs or he's reading guys coming off of delays and pin downs and guys coming off of screens, you know, curling to the basket uh, or faking that handoff and driving to the basket himself. But him kind of being that central hub. So Anthony Davis and LeBron will split more of those responsibilities than they would if Anthony Davis was a conventional big. Um, but even then, as far as Quinn Cook goes, he great fit on the offensive end, makes perfect sense, just hard to see defensively. So I still think he's a backup ideally. Um, let's move on to, um, to JaVale. Sure. The Lakers had signed him last year to a vet minimum deal. He was probably the one guy that they signed that was like, oh, hey, he outplayed his contract, right? He, he gave the Lakers, I think, 12 and 7 with a couple of block shots, pretty good interior defense. There were some issues from uh, an attitude standpoint, right? He was one of the guys who, when things went south, he was one of the main contributors to that uh, and, and in voicing his displeasure. And that's something that concerns me going forward, but Lakers signed him to what appears to be a, a mid, a room exception deal, two years, 8.2 million. What's your reaction to that? Again, I think it's a slight overpay. Um, mm, I agree. You, you know, like I'm fine with two years. Um, 
McGee is a springy athlete. I don't see that necessarily going away anytime soon. He's one of the best finishers around the league when he catches the ball cleanly. Um, you, you know, defensively, he's not an anchor in the classic sense, but he can challenge shots around the basket. Um, he challenges too many shots around the basket, right? Like yeah. mm-hmm. he is a flawed player. He is a flawed player on both ends of the floor whose positives um, and negatives at the end of the day probably end up neutralizing each other to a certain extent. And on, vi- on and on his best days, he can be a player who really helps you. And on his worst days, he should probably be a guy who is, okay, he doesn't have it today. Maybe you get a second shift. Maybe you don't. And I think that the Lakers would be wise to sign another big man who is capable of playing and then be able to pivot appropriately within their lineup structure to say, oh, no, 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 tonight, Anthony Davis, you're getting pretty much all of the minutes at center. Mm -hmm. And but I think that JaVale within the within the construct of roster building he is a player who can play next to davis and then can play behind davis and that will be useful um but that's based off of the flexibility that davis provides not flexibility right. that javel provides yeah my i think it's an overpay i i thought javel was maybe a little underrated last year in terms of what he brought. He had the pneumonia issue that knocked him out a lot, a large chunk of the middle of the season. I also think it's probably a mistake to rely on JaVale for 82 games in the first place, whether it was pneumonia or just he wasn't a guy that had played more than 15 minutes per game in like five years, right? So just depending on that in the first place is 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 foolish. I think he's a good player, and I think that my problem is is the money in that there are— Still, it's the only position really left on the free agent market where you, there are a few guys who are like, yeah, that guy's a solid guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, at the end of this, th- this is my final question with this. Like, we, we know what JaVale is. He's he's going to produce for this team, and he'll have value in certain situations in certain games. And like you said, in others, he won't. If there wasn't the supply there of other guys, I'd be fine with the deal. Like if he was a wing signing it, that'd be like, oh, that's a great deal for a guy that you get that type of production out of. There are just other guys with Boogie Cousins and I think Amir Johnson. There are a couple, I'd have to go through the list, but I know there are a few names of, of bigs that are available. No, Joe Kim Noah, um, Co- like Costa Kufus, like there's a bunch of sort of like backup quality big men out right. there. They're just that can That can serve the purpose, right? Yeah. My question is, what is the cost of the Lakers overpaying? So so in total, I'm putting you on the spot here, but in total between the contracts that they've given out, about how much do you think the Lakers overpaid on a per millions per year type of basis? I have them in like the five to seven million type range. That was what I was going to say. So, so like I would say that, that like at, two, like around two for green, right? Um, mm-hmm. Probably around... Four for KCP, four for KCP, and probably mm-hmm. like like a million to a million and a half for Javale mm-hmm. McGee. Like right. like if if Javale was signed on Quinn Cook's contract, right. I think we would say, oh, two years, six million, Javale, great. That's like a little bit over his minimum, considering mm-hmm. his years in the league, right? 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 Like I'm I'm I mean, and those are again like little hits on on 
on the margins. Seven million dollars yep. in cap space would would be nice. That said, I don't like the two or three million dollars that you overpaid Yo. for Danny Green. Darius, I'm sorry to cut you off. Just, this news is breaking. Free agent center DeMarcus Cousins has agreed to a one-year deal with the Lakers. Agent Jeff Schwartz tells XL Sports. Huh. Yeah. So Boogie's coming to the Lakers. The terms have not been released yet. So we'll stretch this out. Sorry, I just I just saw that. Wanted to throw oh, this in. Breaking we'll news. Have, breaking news. Just as a, um, we'll see what the, the terms are. But anyhow, sorry. Carry on. So the Lakers... Did sign that second guy in Boogie, but so what does that seven million get us? I honestly, I'm not sure in this market with with what's left. To like honestly, seven million maybe gets you an offer sheet on a player like Dellen Wright, but I think that that's matched, right? Like mm -hmm. so. Look, man, like I think that I think for overpays to be significant within the construct of what we we what we just discussed. I think the dollar number you really have to get to ultimately is about what the full mid-level exception is, which is about I think 8.9 million. So around 9 million dollars. If you would have told me the Lakers have overpaid by 9 million dollars to this point before the Boogie Cousins signing, I would have said you can you can probably get a useful player with 9 million dollars. Um I think at $7 million, I'm not sure what type of player you get besides a player who you probably overpaid by $3 million. <laughs> if they, like, if that makes sense within, yeah. with, with where the market is now, right? You would probably say, oh, well, for $7 million, I signed a room exception player and I lured him away from going to another team with, with the room section, well, with the room exception by paying him a a couple of extra million dollars a year. And yeah. so I don't really know what to do with that. It's it's sort of like when you walk into a fast food place and you've got like $8 and you've spent $5 on well, well on the value menu and you're just like, "Oh, I've got another dollar 50, throw on another chicken sandwich." You know? Right. Like I, I don't know what to say about that. It's, it's like you're throwing the money away, I feel like. Like, what's the point? I'd rather secure Danny Green. Like, w in working backwards through our con conversation, like I said, the contract that sort of bugs me within all of this is the KCP contract. Right. And that, that's the one of, of all of them. That's the most egregious. And that's the one where, where I could say, like, yeah, he's probably making twice what I would have hoped he would have made. And, and that's, you know, that's pro like one guy that came off of the market. And it, I guess suppose it doesn't matter as much if the Lakers are going in a boogie JaVale McGee route. But like Ed Davis is always criminally underrated, right? He's a guy that I think of, you know, where are there places where they could have gotten a guy. But I, I th ultimately think that the range in which they have overspent and we're still awaiting the terms of the, the Cousins deal. So if they signed him into significant cap space, that, you know, ch would change my opinion on it. But they probably lose out on one, like, okay role player. And in the list of everything that's been done, that's the thing, though, is, is should I even be doing that? Like, it's is it really a big deal? No, it's not. The Lakers losing on the margins every time, though, has a cumulative effect, where if you look at just this one trade or just this one free agent signing, you can be like, I mean, okay, I guess no big deal. 
but when you look at it in totality, it feels like there is a greater degree of loss than you know, like when you, when you zoom out, it, there's that greater degree of loss. So I don't know. I'm still. What's your first reaction to the signing of Boogie in the first place, without us knowing the contract deals? And I'll get those as soon as as soon as we see them. Look, I think it properly slots Javale McGee. For example, mm-hmm. we had just talked about within the context of Javale that let's not rely on him for 82 games. Let's find another mm-hmm. big man who can play, maybe even in front front of him. Are there ways to um, to maybe limit Anthony Davis's minutes in the pivot at center? Mm-hmm. Like I think that Cousins offers a super useful skill set in a body that we're not exactly sure how much it has to give at this point right. based off of the mm-hmm. injury history. Now, if you were if we were to fast forward basically 10 months and you were to tell me DeMarcus Cousins had a load management season of 60 to 65 games, he played 20 to 25 minutes a night and he got you 13 points seven rebounds and two or three assists a night. I would say if they paid $10 million for that player, I might be happy. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, right? Because I think that the Lakers are positioned to say we need players who can be the hub of something. You had mentioned Anthony Davis's ability to to sort of operate at the top of the key, be a passer, be someone who could... um who who could look at the structure of the way an offensive set is unfolding and be a decision maker. DeMarcus Cousins is another one of those guys. Yes. Right. Yes. And, 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 and so monster rebounder too. And, yeah. Well, on both ends of the floor, the Lakers have, look, I don't want to forecast Cousins as being his best, right? A, mm-hmm. An Achilles injury though is a two-year injury. The Lakers, I think, yes. are going to benefit from, at least from Achilles' recovery, of getting the better version of DeMarcus Cousins than what the Warriors got within the context of recovering from from his Achilles. And and was he bad? Like, maybe I feel crazy on this, that, like, Boogie was actually pretty good with the Warriors. Like, he rushed back from from the Achilles injury, right? And they worked him back into it. And then he tore his quad. Like, I thought he contributed. If this is a, a one-year deal at a vet minimum or something at a relatively low contract now and and that still remains to be seen like it seems like an there's a lot of upside there like dude still had something he wasn't like the top 10 top 15 guy he was but like that dude can still play as of last year there was a tally this morning that i think i read um that said the lakers had roughly eight to eight and a half million left in cap space um Mm -hmm. if they gave all of that money to demarcus cousins on a one-year sort of make good deal I think I might be okay with that, honestly. Like, really? Yeah, I think that that's an overpay. I'm just not sure what's left on the market um, where that would be fine to say, mm-hmm. oh, let's split that up. Right. And, and so, ideally, at this point, we talked about the Lakers need guards and they need wings. The best players on the market at this point are front court players. <laughs> right, they're Demarcus right. Cousins. They're um, is it Marcus Marcus Morris? Uh huh. Marcus Morris. Right. And and so look like 
I actually think that the Lakers are going to need one more one more wing. They needed one more big, and they need a point guard. At this point in time, I don't see a point guard or a wing that I would want to sign at more than the minimum. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're going to spend your front court money, you can spend it on Marcus Morris or DeMarcus Cousins. I think that there's still a room exception to use. And so I'm just going to take a stab at this right now. Let's say that the Lakers were to sign Trey Burke. They were to sign Thabo Cephalosha. They were to sign Marcus Morris. And and they have DeMarcus Cousins. If they filled out the rest of their roster in that way, would you be happy, neutral, or not happy. So if, if that's what they do, especially Trey Burke, right? And Caruso in there too, right? Yes. Like that would have been my on paper, what you do if Kawhi Leonard doesn't sign here resolution, right? Is that that's exactly the path that you go down. So I'd be friggin' thrilled with it. I'm, I'm curious to see you know, what, what they sign, uh, sign Boogie for. And I think we're going to have to end this without knowing that. But um, if you can get Marcus Morris with the rest of the cap space and get Trey Burke on a minimum deal, like even then, that's probably I'd be happy with one f- fewer of those players. If you can get Trey Burke in in there for a couple of million, yeah, nah, I'd still want Marcus Morris. Who am I kidding? Like then you you all of a sudden you've got some depth on a team. You go seven or eight deep while having two superstars, and then hey, you know, there is a version of this where if Boogie is can recapture some of it. If you can get back to sixty percent, seventy percent of what he was a couple of years ago. Like bro, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and and uh, Boogie is unbelievably physical, and in a league that switches all of the time, and you're like, it's it's a it's a zag where other teams are zigging while you've got shooters around them. I don't know. I love the Boogie signing. We'll find out what it's going to be. Um, any last thoughts before we wrap it up on terms of like what what this team looks to be going forward? Yeah, I think that it's easy to be. I. Like, I guess my part parting shot would be, it's super easy to be disappointed. I'm disappointed about the Kawhi news, right? I what I what Some big picture stuff that I would say is the Lakers have pivoted in a way where I think they are valuing offensively the right things. <clears throat> you know, they're valuing shooting um, and and they are valuing that in a way to try to optimize their elite players. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's a good thing, man. Like, you know, especially coming off, coming on the heels of what last season's roster construction was. I do agree that they've probably swung the pen pendulum a little bit too far in that direction. But if there's a way to swing it, let's swing it that way, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, rather than not going far enough with this. Right. And so... So from a big picture standpoint, like, and I said this earlier on Twitter and I'll say it here now, the Lakers have LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis. I will take that foundation and every single day. And I think that they've made some smart personnel moves within, within the context of how they're going to build, build out their roster. Even if I'm not like fully enamored with, the contract value. I do love the fact 
that they've only gone on one and two year deals with a lot of these guys because I think that that really keeps them open to still be able to build long term in the way that you were hopeful for, hopefully around a core of Anthony Davis. And then we'll see what happens with LeBron when when his contract expires. Yeah, ultimately, I think the Lakers have gone the route that they should have been going down if they didn't sign Kawhi Leonard. Um, My complaints are more long-term, and that's why we started the pod the way that we did. And it's more about like, hey, what were they able to execute the big picture of what they wanted to do? And they were not. Trading everything for Anthony Davis, to me, does not qualify as signing that second star because ideally you add him to that. Now, I'm okay with the moves that they've made. I think they're overpaid in aggregate um and they have set themselves up for 2021 free agency if that's something that they want to pursue um but ultimately this is something that um the lakers are a guard away they can sign as many boogies as they want and i'm happy about that marcus morris lakers need a guard you need it you need to have a guard somebody who can handle the ball in the backcourt in order to win a title i firmly believe that i would love to be proven wrong on that the lakers will have options on that, but it will be a difficult road to get there. Can so can I throw can you one happen. last name? What do you think about Jeremy Lin? I know we're about to end, but but I think I think he's done. I think his uh, body's done. Okay. Like I've I always liked Lin as a player and he would be it, like a prime Jeremy Lin would be exactly the type of guy I'd be looking for. Yeah. He's, he's great off of ball screens and all that. I just I think he's done. I, I, I just don't think he's physically able any, anymore. Now you could maybe say the same thing about Demarcus Cousins. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Lynn is a little bit older and uh, yeah. has had a little more like Boogie will always be big and he will always be skilled. Yeah. When you're a guard that has those type of problems, I just don't think that that's there. But be very curious to see how the Lakers fill out that guard rotation. They did sign Cook today, signed Cousins along with Danny Green, KCP, JaVale. We didn't talk about Jared Dudley or Troy Daniels. We'll get to them down the line. But um, yeah, the Lakers will at least have some reasonable depth this year, but we need a guard. So anyway, this this is will be the first many discussions about where the Lakers go from here. It feels like the end of the 2MAX era. And thank you for joining us throughout a, a large portion of how the Lakers went about getting to this point. And hopefully you'll continue with us going forward. You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. Just give me a chance to think. It takes me a little while to get wound up. I know it does take you a while to think. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right, my book. Will you get these idiots out of here? It was developed by leading sleep researchers. <laughs> it was developed by leading sleep researchers. Research. Why can't I say researchers? It was developed by leading sleep researchers. It was developed. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs>